Welcome to the Propulsion Swimming Podcast, where we aim to give swimming the coverage and publicity it deserves. Every week, we celebrate the sport we love with amazing special guests and topics from around the swimming pool. And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Dan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott, and back with me yet again is my good friend, Dan. Dan, it's been a crazy, horrible, all sort of day for me. How's your day gone? (laughs) Well, it's been a kind of summarize um, Saturday night. I don't know if you watched it, but Adam PT was on Strictly Come Dancing. And I tell you what, didn't he do well? What a great performance from Mm. him and his dance partner, Cassia, as well. Uh, He's doing a fantastic job of giving swimming more exposure and proves that you can indeed take a fish out of water. (laughs) Mm. I'm happy to admit I actually, uh, I made my partner watch it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so did I. <laughs> I actually told I told her to put the channel on. Uh, we she, he was right at the end, so we sat through it all. Yeah, which yeah. was good going. Um, but anyway, this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. Enough about dancing, more about swimming. <laughs> um, I'm really excited for this one because kind of our ethos here at Propulsion Swimming is to talking to the up and coming names of British swimming. And for this week's show, we have a member of Tokyo Frog Kings, and she's actually out in Naples still waiting for that swim-in match, although I'm not entirely sure she's going to be taking part. We'll get into that. Um, So welcome to this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming podcast, Kiana McInnes. Hi. Yeah. (laughs) Good to be on. How are you? How are you doing today, Kiana? Because I I know there's been a lot going on over that side of the world, not related to the pool entirely. Yeah, no, um, I just got out of um, hospital this morning. Uh, On um, Wednesday, I went in because I'd been not feeling so good since last Saturday. Um, The day of of our match, I was kind of like, oh, I've got a bit of a sore stomach type thing. Um, Mm. And then... On the Sunday, I was like, mm, I don't think, because I thought it was just competition nerves type thing, potentially. And then mm. Sunday, I was like, mm, I feel quite sick. <laughs> and um, my stomach's still sore. And I was like, I'm just going to ignore it. Like, I don't want to, like, put the team down or, like, make excuses for, like, swimming bad if I swim bad or something. Um, mm. And then Monday morning, I was, like, <laughs> I was pretty ill. Um, but my family were actually over to watch the match. Um Oh, okay. At the weekend, so I was going out in I was going out in Italy with them. We did the Amalfi Coast, um, and by the end of Monday night, I was I was pretty run down. I had like a very bad headache, um, and we were like trying to go out for dinner. And I was just like every place we walked past, I was like the thought of eating, like the smell of pizza. I was like, I'm going to be sick. Um, I was very sure I had food poisoning at this point, but we had our COVID tests for Tuesday morning so I was like I'll just wait till Tuesday morning get my COVID test to make sure it's not COVID type thing and then Tuesday morning I woke up and I was like I cannot get out of bed <laughs> I was like very ill I like tried to get oh, up no. to um, go to the bathroom and I like was like very faint and stuff um, so then I was like I'm gonna need to message and say I can't get to the COVID test and then pretty much from there on was in contact with the doctors and stuff and the doctor came to visit me Wednesday morning and he said at that point they just wanted to rule out appendicitis. So I was to go mm. to the hospital just to get some scans to make sure it wasn't appendicitis. And then they decided that they thought I potentially might have appendicitis and that I needed surgery. <laughs> and then I had lots and lots of tests. They moved me to a different hospital um, to do 
more tests and potentially get the surgery. And then on the Thursday, I then had some more tests done. I think that my appendix wasn't super swollen, so it was quite hard to tell on the scans. Um, mm. But they decided, I think, in the end to like just open me up and remove it just to be safe. Um, and then, yeah, when they opened me up, they found out that I'd had a ruptured ovarian cyst, which had pretty much like leaked fluids internally um, into my sort of abdomen and that had then caused mm. my appendix as well so <laughs> it's been a bit of a roller coaster oh, and i've just been out monday yeah <laughs> this is this is like four days before we're recording this podcast you were let out of hospital the day we're recording this podcast so this is some commitment to coming on like, we, <laughs> we fully appreciate it and we, we are definitely going yeah, to no. make this interview worthwhile <laughs> yeah. yeah i just wanted some practice of some sort of media skills i think definitely i think it's definitely a good chance to give it a go in a more relaxed atmosphere yeah definitely definitely we we like things relaxed here mm. um so i think the first topic we'd like to tuck into is kind of isl and the tokyo frog kings because from the outside looking in is is a really interesting team there's a lot of different cultures going on there you've got kind of a strong core of japanese swimmers but then you've also got a little cluster of you sterling girls how's it been kind of gelling through this what's it been six week experience now yeah it's been actually really really good i was a bit apprehensive when i was offered to be on to tokyo frog kings because of the big cultural sort of like difference mm. in things but I actually think it's one of the things I like have loved the most about being on a team um everyone's kind of been like telling us sort of things about their different cultures and we did like a an activity like a team bonding activity on one of the nights where it was like things that people think about your country that are either true or like not true type thing um so like oh, I don't I know the Japanese what you picked for Scotland <laughs> <laughs> well they put us as Britain so we were a bit like oh, okay not sure what to do um so I think we did tea drinking, but then there was a bit of a dispute whether drinking tea is something that we do in Britain or not, because some of I the do. British girls don't like tea. Whereas I'm like, I think it's a pretty big thing in Britain. I was like, I think it's a true, like, <laughs> true representation. But, Definitely. but yeah. Yeah. yeah, Scotland, Scotland would have been a bit easier to do, I think. Um, but yeah, we did yeah, Britain. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it was, it's been good. Yeah. Um, people have been like the Japanese swimmers have brought loads of like snacks and stuff for us to try which has been really oh, cool amazing. um like just random like japanese snacks and um martin um he's brought he brought stroop waffles from the netherlands so that was pretty cool oh, they're um, good. They're good. and yeah they're i brought nice, some scottish snacks yeah <laughs> yeah they are good i brought some <laughs> scottish snacks which i just handed out tonight um so i had some people trying some iron brew tonight <laughs> which was oh, interesting okay. <laughs> how, do, how did that go down yeah some people Someone said they thought it tasted like uh, cream soda, which I thought was interesting. I've never heard that before. Um, <laughs> someone said it, that they thought it was horrendous and that it tasted like toothpaste. <laughs> so I think that's <laughs> what you get with Iron Brew. <laughs> Some yeah. people either love it or it's... I think if you've not grown up on it, it's a bit of an unusual flavour. Mm. Yeah. So are you picking up any any different things from, let's say, the Japanese swimmers in terms of your training or anything like that? Yeah, I think... Well, I mean, we've kind of had to follow the uh, Dave Salo's sort of training like program. Mm. So in terms of like in the pool, not too much, but on land, we've been doing like group stretches, which I've noticed that no other teams really do. Um, so we have like a one of our sort of strength, one of the Japanese strength coaches leads this like group stretch. And I think 
everyone on the team's kind of noticed that our flexibility has definitely improved and it's actually yeah it's just doing it as a like group I think and it's just the same every day like it's like a routine that's like maybe 10 minutes long um mm. that they do for us and yeah I've got I've definitely there were some exercises that I couldn't do when we started off I couldn't get into the positions that I was meant to and I can definitely <laughs> say I've got a lot better now so that was something my um physio had told me to pay attention to when I mm. came out because I think the Japanese are known for having very good pre-pool Oh, it's interesting they've shown progress already and it's only been six weeks of the season just imagine how good you'd be in I don't know let's say two years time at doing these exercises awesome what would what would you say is your biggest takeaway so far from your ISA experience maybe attitude changes or training methods or anything like that um I for me I think just I think it's been really good for me to come on my shell a bit um I was saying I'm quite shy um mm. And I think that potentially it's something that we should maybe try and do more like in Britain. It's like an inter-counties type thing. And I think that as a mm. team, you get on so much better and you, I think everyone swims faster because you're not just swimming for yourself. It's like what you mm. see constantly in relays, like at big meets, like everyone seems to drop huge amounts of times in relays, um, not just from the takeover, but like generally. Um, and I think just when you're swimming for a team, you've got, maybe more motivation as well to do well for the team and stuff I think that's definitely been a big thing um mm. and also Dave Salo's training is very very different to anything I've done um before oh, okay. it's a lot it's a lot shorter um I think he tries to make it a bit more fun and things we've done like the 50s are like broken up into like 10 meters of this five meters of this then a flip turn and stuff like and just loads of random okay. <laughs> things it's quite brain intensive <laughs> yeah I, I think that's yeah. I think that's fascinating. I, it's almost that's exactly what ISL is meant to do for for rookies. For me, it is people like yourself who are networking essentially through the mm. swimming world, building up these contacts, these experiences. It's funny that you say in this country we should race as a team more. After last year's ISL, we I don't know we pitched the idea that maybe like we should pay a bit more attention to bucks and have like sterling against loughborough against bath and actually do like an isl style of that and get mm. some exposure up for swimming in this country i think that would sound well we suggested it so that sounds really fun oh yeah from our point of view we're like yes, i think absolutely right <laughs> i think that the problem maybe from what i've kind of seen out here is in the uk that we're a bit more like shy almost and that we don't want to like okay. go out and like so like it, for me I find it really uncomfortable doing the chance or I did at first and then you kind of get used mm. to it it's quite like American I think almost like, mm. say, well, like we need a few doing Americans all the chance the and teams. the team stuff yeah, <laughs> yeah so yeah. you need you need someone to sort of take charge and make it not be like a, an unusual thing to do um mm. and make it like the normal sort of thing and I think that yeah it's just not very British which I think we need to maybe look at more as well I'd be interested to know how much kind of the Brits come back and have changed their ways in like, I don't know, maybe look back in like five years and see if ISL really has like caused a culture shift within clubs and universities. Mm. Yeah, no, I definitely think that would be interesting. Yeah, I've definitely think I've come out my shell and stuff a lot since I've been out here, um, mm. which was one of my aims coming out. I kind of struggle to like, network almost on teams yeah. um because i'm yeah. quite shy but i do love being around people and things and I, it always really annoys me because i'm shy but i wish i wasn't shy um 
because I wouldn't say I'm an introvert in terms of I like to be alone all the time but I'm just mm. not very good at putting myself out there so mm. I did my best to sort of make new friends and things that's good though I think that's the right way to do it face your fears if it even is a fear like try just go into the the, the um the unknown and just experience it I think you're doing the right thing mm. I think that's good actually well last year last year we spoke to quite a few rookies didn't we Scott and yep. the financial benefit is is huge especially to these the new swimmers how is the winning you've earned going to help you for this season and beyond yeah, so even for me, like when I was called on, the solidarity fund in itself mm. is like a big thing, um, especially because I've not been on British Swimming funding um, mm-hmm. the past two years, I think. Um, so that was just a huge like amount of money for me in itself. Um, mm. And I kind of knew that the prize money was big when I came out, but I wasn't really expecting to have done so well as I did. I was like, maybe I can get some like fourth, fifth, sixth, because there's prize money up to sixth place. And I was yeah. like, even winning a hundred dollars becoming sixth is like huge for me. Um, yeah, yeah, a lot I do more think than that, that you've won. to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do think to um, maybe make a living completely out of it, you do need to be winning like multiple races and be on teams that are winning okay. like big mm. points. But so is... it definitely helps in terms of on on top of any funding you have. Yeah. Mm. yeah, is it a case of this year's ISL kind of has tied you over for this year? It's kind of taken away that financial worry, taken some burden. I don't know off your parents. Yeah, definitely. I'd say I think I've actually got quite a lot of like random bits of funding coming in this year. Um, Sports mm. Scotland are giving me extra funding this year for Commonwealth Games, um, which I didn't know was a scheme that existed, which has definitely been helpful as well. Um, and just lots of like there's winning students uh, in Scotland there's like a scheme called winning students where they give you um a chunk of money if you're in, it, it used to be like if you were in the top 16 FINA points in, and you and you're in union Scotland regardless of whether you're Scottish or not um which is also helpful um I think they've discontinued that for new people to join but they're mm. following through with everyone that's currently on it so that's also helpful so would you say the funding that you're going to get is going to be enough to sustain you for for the duration of your swimming career potentially yeah if i if i continue to be able to swim at isl and things then it will definitely mm. potentially extend my swimming career i know lots of people mm. struggle especially when they get older um to fund themselves to continue to go and i know lots of people that ideally would want to swim for a lot longer than they can um i know like say for example craig mcnally who i train with was struggling mm. this year to continue to go on, but I think he's managed to also get that Commonwealth Games sort of Team Scotland funding, oh, which has hear. kind of helped him. Mm. Um, yeah, I think lots of people that still love the sport and then they're having to give up. So I think it's nice to know that if I can continue to be performing at ISL, that I will be able to continue as long as I want in the sport. Mm, exactly. And we never, and you never know when kind of the peak of your career might come. The fact that ISL might enable you to sustain your career long enough to I don't know who who was the swimmer at first time Olympics at like 28 is it Callum Jarvis Alice Thomas was 30 I think there was a few of them yeah. Alice yeah, yeah Alice exactly. Thomas and yeah so it, it kind of opens more doors like that to swimmers I don't know it just it it must be so nice knowing that there there now isn't I don't know that forced end point you can you can pick when you're coming out does that make sense mm. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, as long, yeah, as long as you can keep yourself going until you sort of peak. If you're, if if you're up there, 
then you can definitely mm. um you can definitely keep keep yourself funded well, you just you just have to look at pellegrini hosu nicolas santos nearly hit a world record the other day in the 50 fly he's 41 <laughs> got brent hayden yeah. going like sub 48 i think he went to tokyo so it's, it's incredible the longevity of these summers now is just getting higher and higher and um mm. ISL, well, they've got to thank ISL for it, really. So long may it continue, I say. Yes. Should we touch upon a kind of a little bit of the details of ISL? So we went into the season slightly concerned about the amount of female swimmers on Tokyo Frog Kings. I think mm. the initial release team that got announced to the press, there was like five less girls on it. I, I think that's evened out as the rounds have come in, gone on and more swimmers have come in. Have have you noticed that there's been like a disadvantage to you guys at all? Are you racing more races than other swimmers? I think we can potentially see the difference in the relays. Uh, I definitely mm. think that the boys maybe have stronger relays than us um, overall, but we definitely do have some big names. Like we've got Yui, mm. who's obviously yeah. double Olympic mm. champion, and then Paige uh, Madden and Katie Duluth. Mm. Like they're both big names as well, and I think that. The coaches have done a fairly good job at allocating the swims out. Although I do know in the okay. first in the first week, I'm pretty sure Ali Tetzloff had six or no, I think it was eight swims she ended up having. She had seven swims wow. and then she was put in the skins as well. Well, um, so I think oh, she struggled with that. But then they, they they did adapt that the next weeks. So they kind of took that on board and were like, okay. And then I think <laughs> people have definitely been willing to step up. Like I know, like Paige Madden and. Um, Leah Gingrich uh, have both been made to do the 400 IM when they didn't have any warning that they would maybe be made to do that when they were selected for the team. But they've both done a really good job, I think, because mm. considering they've not really swum IM anytime recently. I, but I think Leah didn't have, uh, Paige, sorry, didn't have any sort of idea what she was going to go when she was put into the 400 IM. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd like that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a freestyler, but I wouldn't like to be like suddenly thrown into the 400 IM. That would scare me, and it would hurt. <laughs> I'm not sure so, so yeah. sure I could do it. But um, yeah, I think if they, if they think come she... to you, if they come to you with any um, shock proposals to, for you to race, no, no, not at all. I've pretty much been doing the 200 fly. Um, mm. They asked me on. Well, I've been asked a few times, like what my 50s like what my hundreds like um mm. they kind of gave me a suggestion that they were going to put me into the hundred before the last uh the last match and then they mm. put me in the hundred um which was nice because i've been swimming really well in my 200 so it was kind of nice to see mm. where my hundred was at mm. too um it's a bit of a shame that i'm out now uh, i would have liked to see <laughs> yeah. if i could have brought that down even more mm. um so shall we touch upon slightly your your own victory in the 200 meters fly uh, Standout one is obviously the match against Energy and London. They're, they're big teams that you you managed to beat. That Absolutely must have felt amazing. Yeah, mm. that must have felt amazing for you, kind of personally, and to help out the team as well. What was it like to get your first ISL victory? Yeah, so um, in the first two matches that we had done, I'd been touched out by like tiny amounts. Um, mm. I think in the first match it was by point two. I came third by instead of second, and then in the second match that we did I was 0.03 which was very annoying um so it was actually really nice to out touch someone because I think I mm. beat the girl that came second by 0.06 as well <laughs> um your luck had turned <laughs> so yeah um and it was really nice as well because my parents were also out to watch that match so 
and my little sister so it kind of made it extra special almost mm. um and I managed to get one jackpot point which was also quite good <laughs> is there anything you did differently from the rounds before or was it literally a case of same process just hoping for a better result yeah so in the first match um I think I struggled a bit on the last 50 um which is quite unlike me I'm typically known for having like quite a strong last 50 of a race um mm. I think it was potentially down to maybe not having trained huge amounts as well um mm. on the like before ISL um I was kind of a bit in and out of the pool because of the Olympic guys being away and things mm. um but yeah so the, for the second match I tried to change it so I kind of went out the first 150 pretty easy um and then I think I had too much left down the last okay. 50 Mm. um potentially um I think my last 50 was a second faster than anyone else's last 50 on that match it's quite and a lot. then <laughs> yeah quite a lot. And so I tried to on the third match do the same go out easier but pick it up with 75 to go and mm. I actually went a slower time than I did in the second match but um yeah I think I, well, I just managed to out touch the um mm. the other two girls yeah. that um were behind me which was yeah it was good to be the one on that end of it this time <laughs> what what would you say is the perfect way to swim a 200 fly i know there's it's different for different people and if there's any age groupers listening to you right now how would you say or how would you recommend swimming a 200 fly so the way i do it is i try and go out just as easily like as i can i've got quite good easy speed especially when i'm had caffeine and stuff i find it very easy to go fast without any effort um at all which can be interesting my second and third 50 I usually do drop quite a bit I've been working on mm. trying to make those drop-offs less um mm. down the second and third 50 um trying to keep that as close as I can to the first 50 and obviously there's going to be a drop-off but trying to minimize that and then on the last 50 it's pretty much just all out <laughs> whatever yeah. I can whatever I can bring back build into the finish if I can and how important is the underwater stuff on fly is it key to make sure you use the full 15 to rest your arms or how do you perceive it um I definitely agree that underwater is definitely very important um and it's something I'm working on it's probably my biggest weakness my underwater interns they're very very poor compared to the rest of the field um I lose a lot of like ground um mm. on turns um but just now while I'm working on it we've done sort of testing with the speed reel and um, back home like sports science guys and my underwater is actually slower than my swim above the water so oh. my whole swimming career um coaches have been like more underwater more underwater but now my coaches are like get under the wave and then get up because <laughs> okay. I'm slower I'm slower <laughs> I'm so bad at underwater kick that it's faster for me to come up and swim so it's <laughs> interesting that they're kind of I don't know. It's almost almost going against the norm the way they're yeah. advising you to go, but it, it's maximizing your strengths, isn't it? Individual differences, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely trying to work on the underwater because if I can get it better and it can get it to be faster than mm. my swim speed, speed, it is definitely beneficial. Um, but just now, just working on it in training and then in races, just trying to get under the waves. I've noticed, especially at Europeans, that. I struggle a bit more because my underwater is not so far. I come up against a wall coming the other okay. way, which is a mm. bit more more of a challenge in international competition. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Shall we touch upon the the swim in, which is gonna when this goes live, probably what this is going live the day before 
the swim into the playoffs at ISL. Now, it's a very short turnaround from the last match, which was almost a replica, bar DC yeah. replacing Aqua. Mm. How are the Tokyo squad approaching it? I know you're not going to be part of it yourself, but have you been able to see any of the conversations taking place? Have things got a little bit more serious, a bit more tense, or is it still... I don't know, keep it fun, keep it relaxed and see what happens. Um, I know they've been having team meetings, but I've not, I've because I've just back, I've not been part of any of the team meetings. Mm. Um, I spoke to one of the coaches at lunch this afternoon um, and they've done, they've done the maths for what on paper the outcome should be. Um, okay. Minus, minus the skins and I think also minus the relays. Mm. Um, they've kind of, not told the rest of the team that based the team captains said that they didn't want the team to know but they've told me because I'm not swimming anyway um so on paper I think based on like what people did the fastest times that people have swum at ISL so far they've kind of added Mm. up the points and what the outcome could potentially look like we (laughs) won't reveal the outcome on here just just (laughs) just because it is meant to be a secret and it would be quite bad for you to (laughs) reveal that but could you imagine Do you feel like there's a lot that needs to be turned around from the previous match? I just think in the previous match, we got outtouched a lot by like very small margins. Mm. So if we can turn those from being even like seventh, eighth to seventh or seventh mm. to sixth, that like the tiny points make differences. And then also getting wins where there's jackpots because being outtouched for, from first to second can make a huge difference if you're mm. going to jackpot. Yeah. I mean, it's still a massive thing, jackpot, isn't it? I mean, when you've got someone like Sato, who's swimming really well, actually, after a pretty, well. a pretty disappointing Olympics, it's quite quite good for Team Tokyo Frogkins that Sato is on top of his game because he's jackpotting and winning a lot at the moment. So he's a, he's a big plus point as well. Who knew his 200 breaststroke was that good? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had no idea. No, not right. <laughs> yeah, no, he's definitely bringing the team spirit up. He's a very big character in himself. He's... A really funny guy as well um so it's been kind of nice to get to know him as well because mm. obviously i know his name and stuff but he's yeah. he's a he's a very interesting character <laughs> yeah what's what's so, the language that's spoken in a team is it majority english or is it mainly japanese yeah. yeah so all the coaches and everything all the team meetings are done in english um where possible they've got a translator doing translating okay. to japanese um but it's not been possible all the time. So I know, I think Daya, despite his English not being perfect, is probably the best out of the team, okay. um, out of the Japanese swimmers. Most of them pretty much speak like hello sort of sort of thing. Um, okay. yeah. I was going to say who else speaks. Um, Chi. Chi speaks um, quite good English as well, similar to maybe Daya. Um, but mm. other than that, yeah, it's pretty much... So Daya, I think has been kind of trying to translate some when there's no team uh, when there's no translator and also Kevin Litherland he um he's like our team manager kind of just now and he speaks a bit of Japanese because I think he's been brought up in a sort of Japanese family yeah yeah okay okay that's interesting so um if we move away from ISL slightly I know you've had a really strong performance at this year this year's ISL it's it's a shame that you can't race again but should we look back on last season because you had some really strong showings at trials at Glasgow you said you went to Europeans as well on the senior team do you think things are starting to click for you now yeah definitely um that PB that I did at um trials was definitely 
like a long mm. time coming. Um, I think it had been like four years or something. I think my PB was from World Juniors in 2017. Um, so that was definitely like a big thing. Um, I could see it com- coming in training. Um, I, we've been doing lots of time trials on this sort of lead up to that because of COVID, we couldn't race fully. So I had been kind of seeing that I was yeah. very, very close to my PBs um, in the time trials. But I definitely think I maybe struggled a bit with the transition to uni, um, sort of mentally around between 2017 and 2020. I think I was struggling a bit like with my mental health and things. And I think mm. that I kind of maybe stopped loving sport as much. Um, and I think that lockdown was actually probably very positive for me in that sense. Because I'd been kind of, I'd taken a couple of breaks throughout 2018 and 2019. I'd taken a couple of short breaks for like a week or two. Mm. But I felt pressure to come back because otherwise I felt like I was quitting almost. So I think lockdown mm. was like a break where I didn't feel like I was kind of having to come back. It was like a cheap break where I got a break from swimming and got to reset. But mm. it wasn't it wasn't seen on as a break in a negative sense. Um and I think that definitely has helped me. Like I like I'm loving swimming again, and I think that's definitely been positive. Amazing. What steps are you looking to take to make sure it becomes more of a regular that you're involved in Team GB in the future? Just working on like skills and stuff, um, and particularly my heat swims. I think heat swims have been not so good for me in the past. Um, although at Europeans, I did a very good heat swim. I was really pleased with that. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just working on my skills, uh, my my underwater interns are definitely very far behind where they should be for sort of my level and times. Um, it's very noticeable when I'm swimming up against some of the best swimmers, I think, um, my swim speed's there. But I need to definitely take some big steps with my mm. underwater interns. I think I've always said this on this podcast, when there's kind of a glaring weakness I never really see that as a negative for a swimmer. I actually see it more as a positive because you're obviously doing very good times and there is this big kind of point that you can improve on. So it's nice to know that you're not the finished article and your times can keep dropping if that improvement comes. It's the same with Adam, wasn't it? Adam's start was dreadful, let's put it bluntly. It was was (laughs) dreadful on the world stage and then suddenly... You fix it and suddenly world records galore, you know? And so once you identify that weakness, mm. which you, you say the underwater, if you can improve that, then, you know, those two sevens suddenly become those two sixes, maybe two fives, who knows, you know? So Yeah, no, it's definitely something that I've been working on, particularly a lot this year with physio and stuff. Um, I've got quite a good range of, like, shoulder mobility, but when I get tight, it kind of restricts. And although I can get into the range, I can't do it in a sequence so I struggle to Mm. go up into a streamline even if I can force myself into a streamline I struggle to hold that and I think that's possibly limiting my sort of like back mobility when I'm doing kick pretty much underwater you need to carry on with those uh Tokyo Frog King stretches yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) definitely yeah um believe it or not you're our first guest from Sterling so mm. I, th- I think we'd love to touch on oh. kind of the, the setup in Sterling because, I don't know, we've, we've honestly not been able to learn much about it before. So what is the, ter- the training setup like there? I know Steve Tigg is the lead coach. Director. Yeah. Director. But what happens below him and how does the squad makeup work? So we have um, 
Bradley Hay and Stephen Tigg. They're like, so Bradley Hay, I guess, assists Steve, but they kind of do equal work on poolside. They're just always on poolside with us. Um, mm. It's quite nice like to have the two coaches there, I think. Uh, I mean, it's like there's always kind of someone to take times because of the way we train in Sterling. We don't train as a group. We use the um, Albrick model, which means that we get, we do tests and it determines what sort of training we do, like, like volume and sort of how hard the sets are. So we're often doing different sets at different times. So I think having two people on poolside is definitely positive in that sense. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so that's HP1, which is our top squad. And then we've got HP2, which is coached by Josh. Um, and then after that it kind of just goes into like more social swimming i think mm. so is it a lot of training by yourself then not necessarily i do a lot of training with um ross murdo um we've got very similar times for like his 200 breast is pretty similar to my 200 fly times so oh yeah we've yeah. definitely been so. um yeah we definitely work well uh training together um i just say it's more tailored so there's usually like a couple of you or at least a few of you doing the same set. Mm. But there's like often like five or six sets going on at once, particularly when it's like a key session. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think that's, I think it's all, not obvious as such, but I think that's absolutely right. Doing different sessions because, you know, Ross is a breaststroker. You're a flyer. Duncan does everything everything uh yeah amy <laughs> amy wilmot does everything you know so i think it's quite key otherwise if everyone's just doing freestyle or everyone's just doing breaststroke it's not beneficial to you or you know mm. anyone else so i think you do need different different stroke lanes or different distance lanes or anything like that um my question was quite a, a funny one but what's it like with winter training in scotland's because it's it's dark and wet in the mornings i, I would hate it but it's, is it okay <laughs> i think the mornings are probably less of an issue because we're in the pool anyway and by the time we're out of the pool it's bright outside um mm. i think maybe the evenings are more like difficult to do um particularly like when i've got like uni work and things if mm. i don't go home and become productive then i'm get myself into a little bit of a slump and then i'm like oh i'm too lazy to get up and now do work type thing yeah. um and i do think that seasonally probably i have struggled like with darkness um i think it's probably something quite a lot of people notice um i didn't notice that maybe till last year that every year i kind of dip around sort of like winter time um mm. but i think just knowing myself that it is because it's winter time and maybe there's also you need pressures and things definitely in mm. itself helps as well yeah it's like, it sounds like a trivial thing and i'm sure people at home might be kind of laughing that oh it's it's just the dark it's just the wet is scotland but actually there's there's so many studies into how it affects your mental health i know i b believe it or not i've been to the north pole and the the buildings there are painted bright colors for a reason so that it is well that's the only color that you see even when it's dark all the time is there anything that you guys because you might be aware of it is there anything you guys are doing to protect your mental health because i think it might even have been on this podcast with Hannah Miley. She said she's got an alarm clock, which is like the sunrise. Is it yeah. that sort of thing that you're having to use? Um, I've definitely heard of that sort of stuff. Um, I've got a Lumi light myself. Mm. It's like a, I think it lets out like 10,000 or 20,000 like lumens. And I think they say that on a sunny day, you get like a hundred and something thousand mm. lumens. So it's nothing compared to like a sunny day, but in like mm. summer. 
but it definitely is something and there's lots of science to say that it definitely does help um i know my boyfriend also has one of those alarm clocks that like gradually gets lighter in the morning yeah, to wake you up and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah to like simulate as if it was as if it was light outside yeah I'd, I'd just be interested to know if it was something like talked about in your training program at all or is it is it something you just take upon yourself and you notice that you're struggling I mean I've discussed it with my coach before in the past okay. and um, obviously my doctor um, and things um, because it is something I've definitely struggled with around like between September and probably only September to February or so um, mm. just when it's been light outside and it's getting darker it's just like, like you're used to the light and then it's suddenly dark all the time um, but it's Was nothing it's... that I've ad- addressed directly <laughs> there's a there's a word for it um oh seasonal affective disorder yeah it's called seasonal sad. Affective disorder. yeah it's yeah 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 literally i sad. knew there was yeah. a proper name for it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly I'm, I'm fascinated with i'd love to study how that actually affects training performances and stuff like that I, has there ever been any consideration to move away from scotland because of that sort of thing or, or is sterling very much number one place to be um never never thought of moving because of the sort of um darkness type thing um my parents have always tried to give us our like main holiday for the year they've always done that in winter because they say Mm. if you're going away on holiday in summer then you're you might miss out on sun in the uk whereas if you go on holiday at christmas time you can get sun (laughs) you can get sun somewhere else that you wouldn't be missing in the uk so we've always kind of done our family holidays then but i've never thought of moving away from scotland just because of the darkness <laughs> my girlfriend is exactly the same because she's zimbabwean and of course the, the seasons are opposite so every time it's christmas she's like should we just go back home because it's summer and it's like 40 degrees <laughs> and i'm like oh yeah sure why not <laughs> but um yeah interesting is it if there's any 18 year old scottish swimmers or even british swimmers actually listening to this right now and thinking about where to go for uni or where to go for the next step in their swimming career why would you say Stirling is the place to go to? Yeah, so um, when I was kind of that age, I think I, I actually left uni, uh, left school a year early to go to uni, um, partially for sort of mental health reasons and things as well. I was really struggling back with my home club. Um, I was like, I'm never going to Stirling. I don't want to be in Stirling. It's too small. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to Stirling. Mm. Um, I'd actually applied to Loughborough and got into Loughborough. Um, but then I had some last minute changes and um, I think I'm really glad that I did end up in Stirling um, just because it's slightly smaller, um, like a smaller program, which I think means that you're less likely to get so lost in like everyone else because <laughs> there's obviously yeah, a lot yeah. of talent at the other like sort of national centres. Um, but then I also think although there's less of us, we definitely don't <laughs> lack in like talent and stuff I mean there was five I think our squad's around 16 17 and five of them went to the Olympics this year and there was more that have been to the Olympics in the past um and obviously two of those 16 17 are also Olympic champions this year so yeah yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also I think just as a uni if you're considering uni um at Sterling they're very very helpful with making adjustments for sports they're very centered around sports so they they put all their classes and stuff like they video all of our lectures and put them online um mm. so that you can listen to them back and they're very lenient with deadlines and um like attendance <laughs> if you're if yeah. you're sporty there 
if you're sporty okay. they'll pretty much do anything they'll bend over backwards for you yeah so if someone's listening and they're not sporty and they want to go to sterling may- maybe they won't quite get the leniency <laughs> yeah potentially not as much as you will you would if you're <laughs> We'll just um, so force them to take up sports straight away that's what i'd recommend <laughs> <laughs> um so before we kind of end this podcast what is the plan for you over the next 12 months what goals do you have in mind um obviously the commonwealth games that's a big one um but then on top of that i definitely want to make a senior <laughs> british team as well mm. um that's definitely a huge focus um I don't really know what the, there's loads and loads of stuff going on next year. Um, I don't really know what the plan is and things, but the aim is to make a senior senior British team if I can. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. Is there any kind of times in mind, or is it improving the process, improving your stroke, improving underwaters or turns? Is there anything that, like specifics? Yeah, my main my main goals have been sort of like using physio um like the sports science guys and stuff um to sort of find the optimal sort of amount of distance and like amplitude of kicks underwater and stuff um Mm. as well and then yeah physio to like adapt on my flexibility and things um so the main like process goal is definitely my underwater and then Mm. also just the working on the like five in and ten out yeah pretty much the turns as well um Mm. making sure that my spotting the wall is good mm. as well um i'd say that i don't really have any super big focus on time um i think that that will come with just changing what i can change um and just consolidating like my race plan and trying to bring those second and third 50s down a bit if i can yeah it's all about processes isn't it if you do the right processes doing step by step i think that the ultimate goal i assume the ultimate goal is paris three years time i think that will just happen if you follow the processes one thing at a time so yeah yeah definitely that that will be the overriding aim for the next cycle i guess yeah yeah okay kiana before we finish this podcast we do usually do some quick fire questions with our guests does that sound good for you yeah um so what is your favorite event 200 fly <laughs> uh, who who is your swimming idol Ooh, i've never really followed swimming huge amounts actually so i think i've always had like sort more local sort of like idols so i'd say like growing up it would probably be names you don't know like i remember like elizabeth Lim, and then i'd say one that you'd maybe know would be hannah miley because she was scottish mm. and she kind of did 200 fly a bit um mm. yeah <laughs> i i never really followed swimming that much as a child so fair enough it's different than the Michael Phelps answer we always get given. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what's the proudest moment in your swimming career so far? It probably is being selected for commies. I remember that being a really big thing at the time. Um, mm. Just, yeah, just because it was like my first senior team and I was only 16 when I was, when I was at commies. So it was quite a big thing for me. Um, and it was in Australia, so it was pretty cool. <laughs> Oh, with the weather amazing. I need to go <laughs> to Australia. Oh, I need to go. Um, what's the hardest set you've ever done in training? When I was um back at my old club, um I did a set, it was twelve two hundreds fly, best average on three fifteen. <laughs> um <Oy>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that Fins? Was pretty tough. Fin- 
did you get fins with that by any chance or not <laughs> no fins no um i remember at the time there was three of us that our main event were 200 fly and so we all did that set um and one of the boys at the end asked to do a 13th one because we'd got in his way on his 12th one so he couldn't have gone as fast <laughs> well, that's oh just showing god. off yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! That or he's wow. so fatigued that he's completely lost it. You know, it's one of the two. And last question: If you were to go on a road trip, there's three spaces in the car. You can take friends, family, or celebrities. Who would you take with you? Oh no, I don't like this. <laughs> this is too much. I should have thought about this. Um, this one gets one. everyone. Yeah. 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 I'm going to kick myself for whoever I choose later. <laughs> I'm going to think of someone later and be like, oh no. I definitely bring my dog. I've got a dog that stays with me in Sterling. Um, like that. Probably some sort of comedian. Um, I, I couldn't think of one off the top of my head, but a comedian. Um, and one more space. Is there any musicians? I'd probably bring my boyfriend as well just because i'm quite shy so i probably wouldn't speak otherwise <laughs> <laughs> it's just a comedy road show for you guys a private road trip yeah <laughs> with the dog yeah, yeah. I like it. awesome well kiana thank you so much for coming on to this week's episode of the proportions women podcast i'm i'm blown away that you've come on just hours after you've been to start discharged from hospital yeah um we really really appreciate it best of luck with your recovery i hope you can get back in the pool very soon and yeah i'm looking forward to watching your commonwealth games this year mm. <laughs> thank you thanks for having me yeah, very best of luck. I know it's quite a busy period as well. So you got Europeans and hopefully you qualify for the Worlds as well. And then commies for Scotland, obviously that's a big, big deal. So yeah, best of luck for the rest of the season. And hopefully, fingers crossed as well, Paris in three years. That'll be nice. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks. Cheers. So that just about rounds up this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, you can do so on all your usual podcast providing platforms, or you can watch this podcast live on YouTube every week as we put it up, as we put it live. Dan, I will see you not in seven days because we have another podcast Thursday. We do. Actually, we plan to have three outs this week. So fingers crossed Scott can do the editing quite quickly. We'll find out. But uh, yeah, the plan is three. So yes, yeah. Great stuff. We will see you guys in a few days time. Yes. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you on the next one. You've been listening to the Propulsion Swimming Podcast with Scott and Dan. We want to thank you for joining us and invite you to subscribe to the show as well as checking out the Propulsion Swimming YouTube channel for weekly tutorials and videos to get your swimming fix. We will be back next week. Until then, we'll catch you on the next one.